0: Well, Newton, why don't you come on up to read the scripture today, and I want to share with you a painting. I brought it here. This was given this last week from someone in our church who painted this. They became a Christian this last year and was baptized, and I just love what was going on in this person's heart as they painted each stroke just pondering what Jesus did on the cross for that person and I've been inspired by that I think our church should be inspired by that because that's how we start in the faith that's how we're going to finish in the faith let us never leave that that's our foundation and so we'll keep this picture up you can reflect on that as Newton brings our scripture today He's going to be reading out of Isaiah, which is quoted in Acts 8 today. But I asked Newton to, to read our Isaiah passage for us.
1: Thank you, Rob. Today's scripture is out of Isaiah 53. It's verses 3 through uh, 8. <clears throat> Isaiah, obviously, is a prophet, very great prophet, which meant he could prophesy. And uh, if you're familiar, today is also the, the first Advent, right? The first Sunday of Advent the word for that is hope. And uh, we use chapter nine of Isaiah very often for that. And that's where he prophesies about the coming Messiah. In today's scripture, he talks about the Messiah again. And it's a little different. It's more along the lines of, uh, if you remember what Ashley shared with you earlier. I I think you'll see a thread here. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, Acquainted with bitterest grief we turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by He was despised and we did not care It is our weakness. He carried it was our sorrows that weighed him down And we thought his troubles were punishment from God for his own sins But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that he might have that we might have peace He was whipped and we were healed all of us have stayed, a lot, stayed strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins for all of us. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. From prison and trial they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized what he was that he was dying for their sins, and he was suffering for their punishment? Thank you.
0: Thank you. So you'll see there in the suffering servant that this man was despised and rejected. He was being crushed, and yet it was for our sins was for our punishment. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. There's a great transfer that happened there as the blood of Jesus Christ came out to pour over the earth. And as we think about, I mean, last week we talked about Stephen and his suffering, and at the end of the day, Jesus Christ takes our suffering upon Himself. The anxiety, the fear, the pain, you can transfer that to the cross. What a privilege. So let's do that for these three members that are going to be in hospital rooms this week. I know it means a lot to them to have an entire church behind them. I know many of you have been in that spot in the past. And so we pray for them as We hoped people would pray for us in those moments. So we're going to continue this series here now, The Portrait of a Servant. And that Isaiah 53 is argued, who is that referring to? We'll see someone in Acts chapter 8 referring to that. But Jesus himself says, This is about me. He says that in the scripture we read in Luke 22, verse 37. He tells them, alluding to Isaiah 53, he says that this prophecy will be fulfilled within me, that I will be counted among the transgressors. And so he claims this about himself. And we'll see here too in Acts chapter 8 that it's, Uh, the right interpretation to see Jesus in that. And we're going to look at another portrait of a servant. And so today we're looking at Philip. Now I learned a lot about Philip this week. Again, he looks a lot like Barnabas (laughs) and Stephen. Um, But as you read the scripture, you'll see this portrait come out, this picture of him. And here was my biggest mistake right off the bat. About Philip. I thought he was the disciple. <laughs> Philip. He's not. He, he's a new Phil, okay? So, so we looked at Barnabas. We looked at Stephen last week. Now we're looking at Philip today. And so who is this guy? So we get introduced to him here in actually chapter 6. It's when they're finding seven well-respected men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom help serve widows in food distribution. He looked for seven men to do that job. And the first was Stephen. We looked at him last week. Who's second on the list there? Philip. Yeah. So why does the Bible list him by name? Who cares? (laughs) Well, his intended purpose for being in the Bible is so that we see by His example how we should live. And so, this guy, I was reflecting this too, both Stephen and Philip, they, they went on to do some pretty miraculous things, really. But they got their start by handing and bringing meals in the nursing home to women that had no family. And I thought, what a great spot (laughs) for a person to realize what really matters in life, what love really looks like, what it really means to serve. So, we're, we're getting an idea of who this Philip is. Let's go to the next uh, one in chapter 8 here, verse 1. We see what's happening in the start of our chapter today. So Saul was one of these witnesses, and he agreed completely of killing Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So one of the reasons we know that this Philip is not one of the disciples or apostles is because it says that they stayed in Jerusalem, whereas the rest were spread out. Suffering is hitting the church. And I know last week it was a little bit of a weighty sermon to talk about suffering. Yet I think, especially in Western culture, it's something we need to talk about because we're experiencing it every day. And we might talk about it in therapy, but... Well, where does the church share this? Where's the answers through Christ about this? And so we discussed that last week, and I think it's beautiful that in chapter 8, it continues this theme about suffering, of how Jesus Christ took our suffering upon himself. And with that, we see confidence in this Philip. He wasn't intimidated by the fact that Stephen suffered for his faith. He was inspired I'm often inspired by the examples in our church. As I see men and women working full-time jobs, taking care of families, serving faithfully and effectively in the church, reaching out in their community, I, I often come home inspired, going, wow, I want to be more like my church. <laughs> There's examples like that around us. So, another Slide for getting a picture of this, Philip. It says that the believers were scattered and they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. You see how God is using suffering? It's giving them opportunity, it's giving them credibility. He's working his redemption through this pain. And it says, Philip, why does it list Philip? For an example. We saw this with Barnabas when it said Barnabas. For an example, and so here's our example to us. Philip, for example, he went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. As they spread the good news, that phrase for good news is where we get the word evangelize, evangelist. It means a, a good message. And as we just started service, looking at that cross, we have a good message that Jesus bore our sins and our sufferings on himself. So we don't have to. There's always room on the cross for us to bring our pain to him. So Philip is such an example for bringing the good news that we'll see here in verse chapter 21 later on, he gets a nickname, Phil the Evangelist. All right? And he gets well known to the point that on one of the missionary journeys, this group of guys goes, let's stay at Phil's house. And I bet they were encouraged in that visit. And I bet Philip was wide-eyed, open-eared to say, you're telling people about the gospel, right? <laughs> Keep going. I bet that inspired them in their visit. And it, it confirms as well that he was one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. So now we get to our chapter 8, our story. And this interaction is, we've introduced you to Philip. Now I have another friend I want you to introduce you to. He doesn't even get a name. They call him the Ethiopian eunuch. But I love the tenderness of this Ethiopian to hearing the gospel. At this point, the gospel has been spreading through Jerusalem Jesus commissioned them to go to Judea and Samaria, which they're doing in this chapter. Philip understood the assignment. He goes to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And not many non-Jews have been preached the gospel at this point. And so we see this revelation that someone very, very different than Philip deserved to hear the good news about Jesus and he soaked it right in and he brought it back with him to another continent to another culture and so verse 26 it says that as for Philip an angel of the Lord had said to him go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza I'm not sure how excited he was to go into the desert okay but when God says go and you go often good things happen and so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. So he's the treasurer, which means he handles all the finances. The Greek mentions that he was over all of the treasury, all of the money of this pretty large kingdom at the time. He was a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. That's interesting to me. We see that he's God-fearing, and he's seeking out truth here. He's willing to travel for it. He was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah. Again, the fact that he has a scroll of Isaiah, those were costly. And he owned a copy and was reading it. He was seeking out the truth. As Romans chapter 1 mentions, all of the peoples of the world are without excuse because they can look at creation and see that there is a God. Natural law cannot be handed down from natural law. There had to be a law giver. There had to be an uncaused first cause. It had to start from somewhere. And this Ethiopian would look in the heavens and wonder. And he went searching. He was very close, but he needed someone like Philip to share with him about this God. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip again, go over and walk alongside this carriage. Can you imagine if you get a prompting of the Spirit to say, go walk alongside that car? (laughs) Okay. It's going to be pretty awkward if I'm standing by that car as they're going through the McDonald's drive-thru, but you said, you said, go close, okay, or, or go walk alongside that tractor, or hey, go ask that combine driver if you can sit in the seat with them, <laughs> okay, <laughs> here I go. I'm trying to think of, we don't have chariots around, right, so I'm trying to think through an example, and I think a combine's a good one, because the guy's in there with some time, On his hands, okay. So it's almost as if he comes over by the combine and, hey, come on up here. Oh, what you reading? Well, I decided to pull out my my Gideon Bible that I had in the glove box here. What what are they talking about? (laughs) But he gets this opportunity. So Philip ran over heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? The man urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Philip's not being too forceful here. He's being a friend. And he's earning a right to ask some questions. And he's listening. That's always a good place to start. Saying, what do you think of this? How do you make sense of all of this? The Ethiopian was, okay, I think this guy is actually willing to respect me here, engage with me, and I'll tell him how I've tried to answer this so far. But he didn't have many answers. So he turned it back to Philip, and the passage of Scripture he had been reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as the lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? So, this fits the theme of suffering we saw the chapter before, even in this chapter, as people are being spread out. Yet they have confidence because they're going out with a suffering Savior that is fellowshipping with them, taking their pain as they go. This eunuch, this Ethiopian. I think not only was he in the spot of Scripture, but I think he was stuck in the spot of Scripture. You ever get a verse there where you just get stuck? Just almost jumps off the page and you say, wow, you know what? I need to digest that. Where it bothers you. <laughs> where you just fixate on it. And this Ethiopian, I think, is fixating on this. And I t- tried to think through in his background I mean, they give us these ideas of an Ethiopian eunuch in charge of the treasury. How how does, why do they give us those details? Why not just an Ethiopian? And so I'm just trying to think through his lens as he reads this. I mean, he's in charge of an entire nation's money. He pays debts. He collects debts into the treasury. I mean, that's his deal. He gets how money works. He gets how transactions work. And he looks at this and he goes, this is an unfair transaction. This guy paid a debt he did not owe. I'm sure he's used to people not paying their taxes, right? Not paying debts that they do owe. Probably rarely did he have a lot of people coming to him saying, hey, let me pay tax for the next guy too. So I think that caught his attention. I think another thing that caught his attention is that as a eunuch, it means that he was castrated as a young boy for service. I'm sure he didn't have much say in that. And so when it says that he was humiliated and he received no justice and he had no descendants, I think the suffering of this man's life, he saw very relatable in the suffering of Jesus. He goes, I get that feeling. This guy became like me. Isn't that what we celebrate in Christmas? That Jesus came down and became like us in our suffering? He became like me. And he took my debt. Who is this guy? And so, in verse 34, he tells Philip, he says, tell me, The Greek, it's a little stronger than that. It goes, you must tell me. Was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with this scripture, Philip told him about the good news about Jesus. So the Greek, it shows that you must tell me. (laughs) And the way the Greek put together, it says, then Philip opened his mouth and shared with him. This guy was ready for the word. Verse 36. So they rode along and watched the joy and enthusiasm of this guy. They came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Philip didn't take him necessarily through a membership class. He didn't necessarily say you got to get just right First. Now we're trusting that he shared the gospel and that includes the ideas of making Jesus both Lord and Savior of your life. So he understood what he was signing up for. But when he says, is there anything that prevents me from being baptized, Philip said no. So they ordered the carriage to stop, they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And in that water, as this man was dunked and came out, there was ripples that went further than that river, that puddle of water. The gospel ripples are now spreading, not only through Samaria, now to Ethiopia. The faithfulness of a person willing to be sent, they have ripples that you will never fully see. Until heaven someday. Faces you'll meet there that you never knew that you had an effect on. Philip, he was just doing his part. And in verse 39, as he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord just snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I watched a video of Acts of this section. They put it into a movie. And as they, they showed this rejoicing, this man came out of the water and Philip was gone and he just belly laughed. And I thought of that. What does rejoicing actually look like, right? I think it looks like a belly laugh. And I bet he thought to himself, do I have a story to tell when I get home? <laughs> Blood has washed away my sin. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Azatos. See, God's not done with Philip, right? Good job. I want to keep using you now. And so he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. And there he stays. Earlier we mentioned where he got the nickname Philip the Evangelist. That was in the town of Caesarea. And he sends ripples there, I'm sure, as well. Caesarea was the military base for Judea. In chapter 10, we're going to see Cornelius, the Roman soldier, he comes to faith in Caesarea. Becomes quite an operation base also for Paul later on as Some in the military seek to save his life and help transport him free of cost so he can continue to spread the gospel. We have no idea what God is up to. And this whole chapter started with persecution. Some tough times. Oftentimes we look at that and say, well, I guess God's not in this. Oh, he sure is. He sure is. You might think, why would God send me to a hospital bed? Because there's beds next to you. Because people are watching your life. Doesn't make it easy, but we transfer our pain and our sorrows to a compassionate Jesus who's taking it for us. So what does it look like to serve like Philip? What are we to learn from this guy? I think very clearly that he, did, he kept it about Jesus and God's word. That, that played a really central part here. He didn't talk to the Ethiopian and say, well, what's, what's your subjective opinion? What's my subjective opinion? Okay, let's just everyone be nice to each other. No, they dug in leading with God's word. The sword of the Spirit, that's what drove the winning punch through to eunuch to receive faith. And he kept it central. And so, I don't know if you had that chance. I know over Thanksgiving we challenged you to pray every day up until Thanksgiving for that family member that doesn't know Christ. I don't know if you had that, any conversations with them, if any doors opened. But if you're praying, that means God's working in their life. In a couple weeks, you've got Christmas coming. You're going to see him again. They're not off the hook. All right? So if you want to keep that alarm set for that same time and you keep praying, you see them again, centered on Jesus. Who who do they think Jesus is? You get so caught up on some of the secondary issues, and those are important. But if first things first, then the, the secondary things can fall into place. That's the question that they need to answer. There's a lot of times you talk to people about Jesus and they want to talk about something else. Want to wiggle away from that question. But he kept it central on Jesus. The second thing is that Philip, I noticed, he was very sensitive to the leading of God's Spirit. He used his ears much more than his mouth as he listened to where God wanted him to go. And as he listened to the Ethiopian, as he got to know someone very different than himself, but earned the right to share the gospel. And third and last, we have an example here of a one-on-one relationship that is really important for the local church. God has given you a lot of one-on-one relationships out there. That is the front lines. Those are the trenches, all right? That is where God is at work wanting to use you. And like Philip, he was an evangelist. He brought good news. And so are you a bringer of good news to those relationships? Are you showing up? And sometimes it causes us to have to slow down a bit to truly show up. But that's what God's called us to do. And finally, has God brought his good news to you? Have you received that? As we think about this picture, if you don't know what this means, why don't you take out a pen? and draw a cross like this and think about what does this mean to me? I know for many of us it means everything, doesn't it? That I am unworthy. I have insecurity. I don't measure up. And yet I am fully accepted and loved in Christ Jesus. Amen. So let's spread that message here and remember that Jesus is that suffering servant. Let's pray. Lord, I think of Colossians 2, verses 6-7 through that says that just as we've received Christ Jesus as Lord, that we might also walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. Lord, root us in the cross. Establish us in the cross. Make us eternally thankful in the cross. And let that overflow to our world.